It's Paul Smolin, M.D., your Peedcast host, bringing you informative and entertaining knowledge on a wide range of parenting and child health topics. You have parenting questions, he has answers. And here is your Peedcast host, Dr. Paul Smolin. Dr. Paul Smolin here. Thank you for joining me. I developed PEDCAST to help parents navigate a myriad of parenting topics ranging from the crib to the country club. In these PEDCASTs, I express general observations and opinions I have developed over a generation of pediatric practice and parenting. I am not providing medical judgments or advice. And by listening to my podcast, you're agreeing to the terms and conditions listed on my website, docsmo.com. Let's talk kids with today's topic. Welcome and thank you for joining Docsmo today. We're going to do something a little different. Instead of practical parenting advice, we're going to talk some about a new trend in pediatrics, judicious use of antibiotics. How can we use less antibiotics with your child? Now, I'm going to explain why antibiotic-resistant bacteria is an urgent health problem for your child and needs urgent action. And we're going to finish the podcast with some of the latest expert recommendations regarding judicious use of antibiotics. So let's get started. In order to understand how important antibiotics have been for the 20th century, we need to go back in time a little bit. Now, children are infection-fighting machines. They had to be. One of their biggest risks to survival have been infections. Uh, In 1900, the infant mortality rate was 100 babies were going to die for every 1,000 born. Most of those were going to be from infections. Now, we've made a great progress in the 20th century, and we're down to seven babies out of a 1,000 are going to die in the first year. That's a 93% reduction. Loads of factors went into this, but the most important of which have been vaccines and antibiotics. Graveyards of the 1800s are filled with babies with diagnoses like meningitis, dysentery, tuberculosis, malaria. Ooh, it's very frightening to see how many babies died in infancy. Life was tough 100 years ago. Now, I went into pediatrics because it was an infectious disease specialty. It was like being a surgeon without all the mess. Instead of using a scalpel, we used IV antibiotics, and we routinely performed miracles on a daily basis. It was such a feeling of power. It was such a great time. It was downright divine to help people this way. But slowly and steadily, the germs have fought back. The germs have developed devices and ways to evade and destroy antibiotics, and they're not nearly as useful now as they were 50 years ago. It's been fascinating to watch, but very frightening at the same time. We're now seeing the MRSA staff, the multiple drug-resistant staff. We're also seeing tuberculosis that's resistant to most of the anti-tuberculous antibiotics as well as pneumococcus, the pneumonia germ 
that's resistant to many of our current antibiotics. If you've listened to a few of my podcasts, you know I like to talk science talk. So right now we're going to take a little trip down what I call science lane. Now humans take about 25 years to reproduce. Bacteria, on the other hand, they have offspring about every 10 minutes. That's right, every 10 minutes. Do the math. That means six new generations every hour, 144 generations per day, and about 1,000 new generations each week. That means it would take humans about 25,000 years to have as many new generations of offspring that bacteria do in a week. With each new generation comes new genetic variations, potentially more nimble than their ancestors. More generations also means smarter bugs. So let's think about a forest. Let's make an analogy here. Let's think about a forest full of foxes and rabbits. Now, you know, foxes eat rabbits, right? And presumably, the foxes are going to have an easier time catching slower rabbits than they are faster rabbits. So over time, there's this pressure against slow rabbits, and then we're going to select faster rabbits. So over time, our forest is going to have faster and faster rabbits. In the same way, using antibiotics against bacteria, we breed what we call superbacteria. Each time we expose the bacteria to the antibiotic, uh, we kill off the wimpy germs, and we leave behind what I call their evil cousins. And this actually happens in children. Those that take a lot of antibiotics eventually develop resistant bacteria in their nose, ears, sinuses, etc. This is called selective pressure. For most of the 20th century, we've been able to stay fairly ahead of the germs by inventing new medicines quickly. But as antibiotics became more widely used, they gradually became less effective. You've heard the expression, use it or lose it. Well, with antibiotics, it should be use it, then lose it. Who was using all those antibiotics? Well, they were my kids, your kids, our neighbor's kids, all the kids. Those snotty-nosed, dirt-licking creatures you so dearly love and care for were taking lots of antibiotics. They've been taking them by the bucketfuls, mostly for nasal and ear infections. Doctors were afraid not to give the meds to kids because they, they had seen invasive bacterial infections, terrible, frightening things like meningitis, septic arthritis, pneumonia, bone and skin infections. These are really bad players. These are terrible diseases. My entire pediatric career has been all about taming these terrible diseases. Since the introduction of antibiotics back in the 1930s, antibiotics have had a gradual loss of potency in fighting bacterial infections. Uh, think of penicillin. It was the miracle drug of the 30s and 40s. Cure almost anything. And today, it's almost useless. We use it for almost no infections. The warning signs have been clear for many years that the more we use antibiotics, the less effective they will become. And there are times when we really need them. A bacteria's antibiotic sensitivity profile literally means life or death for people with serious bloodstream infections, like those I mentioned before. We want to do 
everything we can possibly do to preserve this technology, which means using them less. Fortunately, even though bacteria catch on quickly to drugs, they also forget about them quickly without frequent exposure. Hence, the current emphasis on judicious use of antibiotics, especially in children without serious infections, such as ear and nasal infections. Now, you can see where I'm going with this. In the 1980s and 90s, it became obvious that something had to change. So this is what current research tells us to do. Recent research has shown that about 60% of children with ear and sinus infections will clear their infections without taking any antibiotics. This is a radical idea, but your body's own immune power can clear many, if not most, of these infections, especially in immunized children. Those vaccines called Hib and Prevnar that seem so routine now have truly been game changers. The germs that were previously able to live in your child's nose and ears and then invade their bloodstream now find that invasion almost impossible. In my opinion, we should be eternally grateful to the doctors and researchers who created those vaccines. But we're going to talk more about that on our future PEDCAST. The next time your older child gets sick, don't be surprised if your child's pediatrician doesn't suggest to you that you not treat your child's ear or nasal infection and instead take the wait and see approach. Here's the way it's done. If your child is over two and has an ear or sinus infection without a fever, instead of starting the antibiotics right away, they will suggest to you that you treat the pain with pain drops and oral medicines such as Motrin or Tylenol and you wait and see. At the same time, your child's doctor will give you what is known as a wait and see prescription, that's a written prescription for antibiotics, or what is also known as a SNAP prescription, safety net antibiotic prescription. You're supposed to just hold on to this. If your child improves, great. No treatment, no fighting about medicine, no drugstore, no expense, and most importantly, no exposure of the germs to antibiotics. If they start to run a fever, however, or if their pain in the ear persists more than two days, you're supposed to go ahead and fill the prescription and treat them with antibiotics. Research shows that with this approach that we can get a reduction of antibiotic use anywhere from 10 to 60%. Now, that's really big. If we could get a 60% reduction in antibiotic use by using this approach with children, think of how much more sensitive Uh, the general germs of our community would become to antibiotics. They'd be way more useful for anybody who ended up with a serious infection. A few cautions with the wait-and-see approach that you need to be aware of. This is generally not thought to be for children under two years of age. It's not thought to be useful in children who appear very ill. They're going to get treated right away. There's no waiting and seeing with those little babies. Um, And it's not for people with deep body infections, especially pneumonia or urinary tract infections. Well, hopefully your child's pediatrician has already introduced you to this concept of judicious antibiotic use. The goal is to greatly reduce the use of antibiotics in children without increasing your child's risk of septic illness, that is, bloodstream bacterial infections. So far, in groups with high vaccine rates, the strategy really is working. In the past few years, there has been a 25% reduction in antibiotic use among children. 
and I find that most parents are on board with the whole idea and personally have had good success with the wait-and-see approach. Remember, this is not for very young children, not for very sick children, and not for those children who you worry may have invasive disease or developing a very serious infection. It's for children with milder respiratory illness. The wait-and-see approach often works well. Ask your pediatrician how they feel about this approach the next time your child is sick. Well, thank you for listening, and hopefully I got you thinking today. I try and introduce you to new ideas in pediatrics. Reference material about today's podcast will be posted on my website, docsmo.com. That's D-O-C-S-M-O.com. Feel free to check it out. Email me. Leave a comment in the forum section. Love to hear from you. Until my next podcast, this is Dr. Paul Smolin wishing that neither you or your family ever have to worry about bugs or drugs. I want to thank the following people for their contributions to this podcast. Seth Jaffe for his creative editing. Sarah Smolin for her digital editing and photography. Wendy Smolin for her legal counsel. Ann Gesner for her content editing. And Ben Smolin, Jerome Moof, and Robert Beezer for producing this phenomenally beautiful music that you're listening to. Thanks, guys.